You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, no syncretism. The book of Deuteronomy looks backward to the Exodus and the wilderness, but it also looks forward to the conquest of the Promised Land and their lives there. It is a time of transition. A proper understanding of the events and lessons of the past are crucial to success in the future. These are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess as long as you live in the land. So Moses had spoken to them in general terms about God's law. Now he will talk about specifics from here to chapter 26. God's law affected every aspect of their lives their diet, their clothing, their worship, their health care, their family life, their dealings with each other and with outsiders. And they were for all time, as long as they lived in the land. However, because of their failure to obey, they would be cast out of the land. But for now, it was like a honeymoon stage. They hadn't even entered the land. They were excited to start and promised to obey. Before they could start to worship God as he designed, they had to utterly remove all traces of everything pagan in the land of the Canaanites. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. So look at those verbs. Destroy, break down, smash, burn, cut down, and wipe out. This was not teaching tolerance or syncretism. Since the Canaanite people themselves would be destroyed, they must not keep all the places where they worshipped idols. And most of these were related to mountains, hills, and trees because they were believed to have religious significance. Gods were believed to dwell in the mountains, so by ascending the mountains or hills, the people thought they were closer to their gods. Certain trees were sacred and symbolized fertility, which was a dominant theme in Canaanite religion. They were to remove all evidences of idolatry. This would remove the temptation to worship in the same way. If you look up Asherah poles, you'll see a picture of a statue that looks like a tree trunk that spreads out its roots at the base, but the top has a concave circle or heart shape with breasts and above it a head which sometimes has branch-like projections coming out of it. It is sometimes called a tree goddess, Astarte, queen of heaven. So Asherah was a Phoenician fertility goddess and the supposed consort of El. Later, Moses will add, Do not set up any wooden Asherah pole beside the altar you build to the Lord your God, and do not erect a sacred stone, for these the Lord your God hates. So the sacred stones were also Canaanite in origin and represented phallic symbols for fertility. They are always mentioned in connection with Asherah poles and syncretism. A similar idea is found with obelisks today. So God didn't want any syncretism to creep in so people would worship him and idols. Idolatry was appealing and seductive, and the best way to prevent it was to remove all objects that would remind them of it altogether, because God said, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way. 
verses 5 to 7, central place of worship chosen by God. In contrast to the many places of worship that the Canaanites used, God wanted them to worship in only one place, which he promised to choose for them. But you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There, bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. Now the worship was here and there, not always done as it should. But one day there would be not be a portable tabernacle, but a permanent structure in the city of Israel. There, in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to, because the Lord your God has blessed you. So worship is seen as holy and reverent, yet joyful, because they will recognize how God blessed them, and they'd be thankful. He'll describe some of the feasts and ceremonies later. After they'd settle in Canaan, they would choose various places temporarily, starting with Mount Ebal, then Shechem, and then Shiloh, which was the center of worship during the time of the judges. Eventually, the Ark and Tabernacle would be located in Jerusalem until the permanent temple was built. The beginning of their downfall spiritually began when they made alternate places of worship in Bethel and Dan. Verses 8-9 to nine, Don't be self-centered. You are not to do as we do here today, everyone doing as they see fit, since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God is giving you. During their time in the wilderness, when the rules of worship were just getting established, there may have been some laxity. But since they entered the land, they were to worship God as he prescribed. This attitude of self-centeredness, which decided right and wrong with themselves as the standard, would be typical of the nation during the time of the judges. Verses 10-19, to 19, Rest from Enemies, Focus on Worship But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you, so that you will live in safety. They didn't yet know how they would cross the Jordan, but they would cross it and settle in the land, and this was a land given to them as an inheritance. They would not work for it other than to fight, but once they defeated their enemies, they'd be given rest from military action and they'd live in safety, and this would happen, recorded in Joshua 11.23. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, there you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And there rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, and there observe everything I command you. While sacrificial offerings and tithes were to be brought to a central place of worship, killing and eating of domestic or wild animal meat could be done anywhere as long as they didn't eat blood with it. 
Nevertheless, you may slaughter your animals in any one of your towns and eat as much of the meat as you want, as if it were a gazelle or deer, according to the blessing the Lord your God gives you. Both the ceremonially unclean and the clean may eat it, but you must not eat the blood. Pour it out on the ground like water. You must not eat in the in your own towns the tithe of your grain and new wine and olive oil or the firstborn of your herds and flocks or whatever you have vowed to give or your free will offerings and special gifts instead you are to eat them in the presence of the lord your god at the place the lord your god will choose you your sons and daughters your male and female servants and the levites from your towns and you are to rejoice before the lord your god in everything you put your hand to and be careful not to neglect the Levites as long as you live in your land. So the Levites would be provided for through the tithes and offerings they brought. And because this was how God planned for it, they were to make sure not to neglect their care, since they had no inheritance of land of their own. Verses 20-27, to 27, Repetition of Commands Moses anticipated that God would increase their boundaries and some would live far from the central place of worship. So he repeated the stipulations about what meat could be eaten where and the prohibition against eating blood, which is considered equivalent to life. By refraining from eating blood, this demonstrated respect for life and ultimately the creator of life. Disobedience was seen as behavior that was right in God's sight. When the Lord your God has enlarged your territory as he promised you, and you crave meat and say, I would like some meat, then you may eat as much of it as you want. If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, you may slaughter animals from the herds and flocks the Lord has given you, as I have commanded you. In your own towns you may eat as much of them as you want. Eat of them as you would a gazelle or a deer. Both the ceremonially unclean and the clean may eat, but be sure you do not eat the blood, because the blood is the life, and you must not eat the life with the meat. You must not eat the blood, pour it out on the ground like water. Do not eat it so that it may go well with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what is right in the sight eyes of the Lord. But take your consecrated things and whatever you have vowed to give and go to the place the Lord will choose. Present your burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord your God, both the meat and the blood. The blood of your sacrifices must be poured beside the altar of the Lord your God, but you may eat the meat. Uh, verse 28, Obedience equals blessing. Be careful to obey all these commands. Uh, regulations I am giving you, so that it may always go well with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord your God. As he has said many times, if they did as God commanded, it would result in blessing for them and the generations to follow. Verses 29 to 31. Don't be curious about pagan worship practices. The Lord your God will cut off before you the nations you are about to invade and dispossess. But when you have driven them out and settled in their land, and after they have been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. 
you must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. So they may have thought it was innocent to inquire about their pagan religious practices because it would lead them astray. They were not to engage in idolatry because it included such horrific things as child sacrifice, which God hated. Other practices included witchcraft and consulting the dead. So what is idolatry? It's substituting anything else for God. And what is the appeal of idolatry? Well, it seemingly removes accountability to God. People can do as they please. It appeals to the flesh because nothing is forbidden. It appeals to their pride because they can do something religious and feel better about themselves. <clears throat> Idols, since they were products of their own making, were controllable, safe, and predictable. It was guaranteed if you did the right things, you'd get the desired result. They could be manipulated if you brought the right sacrifices. There were no demands on their ethics. It was convenient. These high places and altars were everywhere. You didn't have to travel all the way to Jerusalem. They were portable. It was normal. Everyone else was doing it. Only Israel stood out. They wanted to be like the nations around them. It was part of the calendar. There was always a new festival to celebrate. It became routine and habitual. It was logical. Different gods controlled different spheres of life, so they appealed to the one responsible. They felt they could manipulate the circumstances of their lives. It was pleasing to the senses. They could see and touch their god. Eating and drinking were associated with idol worship, so there was a party atmosphere of gluttony and drunkenness. And prostitution was part of their worship. Um, these gods made no demands on them and no threats of judgment. But what the worshipper of idols was unaware of was the power behind them. There were demonic forces drawing them away from the worship of the one true God. Verse 32, don't add or subtract to God's commands. See that you do all I command you. Do not add to it or take away from it. We looked at this in Deuteronomy 4.2. Solomon will say something similar in Proverbs 30, verse 6. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the Gospel do we find in this chapter? God said when they entered Canaan, He would choose a place of central worship. In the New Covenant, it is no longer one geographical place where God dwells, but He dwells in individual believers through the Holy Spirit. We must worship him in spirit and truth. The knowledge of God is offered in every place. Malachi 1.11 We approach only through Jesus. Worship was a time of rejoicing in God's blessing. It should be a delight, not a drudgery. And we are to rejoice always, because acceptance with God is something to celebrate. They were not to neglect the care of the Levites who had no inheritance of their own, but lived on the tithes and offerings of the people. We need to provide for ministers of the gospel so they can focus on it. God provided the eating of blood, seen as representing life. This foreshadowed the atonement made by the blood of Christ and pointed forward to the supreme value of the blood of Christ over animal blood.
It is also the basis for capital punishment. It was not ascribing magical power to blood, but demonstrating that blood stands for life. The average adult has about 5 litres of blood in their bodies, equivalent to 7% of their body weight. If there's a loss of more than 40% of their blood, or 2 litres, the person will die. As he is the fulfilment of these types and shadows, we are no longer required to bring blood sacrifices. Blood cleansed from the contamination or pollution of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement for sin. Uh, why blood? Because the wages of sin is death. Blood atones because the sh shed blood represents death from a substitute which covers the sin of the sinner who is then allowed to live. Jesus' blood cleanses us from sin, and blood had to be spilled in order to atone for or cover sin. We are redeemed not with the blood of bulls or goats, but with the precious blood of Jesus, which takes away our sins once and for all, negating the need for animal sacrifices. In the New Covenant, the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 didn't mention any dietary restrictions except that they specified we should still avoid blood. They were not to inquire how the pagans worshipped, nor were they to practice syncretism. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We must separate ourselves from this world and its uncleanness. Paul says it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But instead, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. God designs and defines our worship of him. We do not. Our patterns of worship are not to be according to the world's ways of doing things. We are not to be conformed, but transformed. They were not to add or subtract from God's word. The Bible concludes with John saying, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. When Moses says it, it cannot refer to just his words in the first five books, because more will be written, coming from the mouth of God and also from him through the prophets. It cannot end when Solomon says it in Proverbs 30, verse 6, either, because there was still more to come. But since the Revelation, the book of Revelation was completed, the canon of Scripture was closed. It is at that point that we are not to add or to subtract from his words. So no Gnostic Gospels, no Book of Mormon, no New World Translations that erase references to Jesus' deity, and no Koran. John said, although everything Jesus said and did wasn't recorded, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. 
But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So God's word is complete and sufficient. All that is needed to know was told to them and us. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Deuteronomy chapter 13. May God bless the study of his word.